0: Welcome to fintech chatter news presented by tier one people leaders in fintech executive search Follow us on your favorite
1: podcast player or fintech chatter tv on youtube
0: blockchain news a monthly roundup and dissection of the big news headlines across blockchain and digital assets i'm your host dexter cousins and this month i'm joined by blockchain leader of the year and founder of genesis block chloe white Before we chat to Chloe, here's a quick roundup of the latest big headlines. Crypto exchange Huobi looks for a new buyer. Reports that Leon Lee, the co-founder and CEO of Huobi Global, is in talks with investors to sell his majority stake in the cryptocurrency exchange. Sam Bankman-Fried and Justin Sun are said to be likely buyers. BlackRock and Coinbase are partnering to offer a spot Bitcoin trust. BlackRock has seen substantial interest in crypto from their clients, despite the market's steep downturn. Its new Bitcoin trust follows a deal to connect BlackRock's Aladdin platform to Coinbase Prime. It's been a massive week this week for blockchain, and as I know very little about it, and won't pretend to either, I thought the best thing to do was to bring the greatest blockchain expert I know, blockchain leader of the year, Chloe White. Chloe, welcome back to the show.
1: It's great to see you, Dexter.
0: Yeah, great to have you back with us. And um, as I mentioned there in the intro, it's been a pretty incredible week. It usually is an incredible week in blockchain, but this week's been even more incredible.
1: Yeah, there's certainly been um, a roller coaster of news this week. It's uh, not a quiet bear market.
0: It's not at all, is it? Well, um, and we're not going to mention price again, as we always <laughs> promise not to. But <laughs> the golden rule. <laughs> yeah, the golden rule. Um, but let, let's kick off with something that's happening here in Australia with the, I guess, the RBA making a, a fairly significant announcement this week.
1: This is really interesting news that has come out from the RBA. Uh, it's in relation to central bank digital currencies. Uh, We've seen in the blockchain ecosystem, there's been a proliferation of stablecoins that have been issued, where essentially it's a cryptocurrency that's pegged to another asset and the most popular stablecoins are pegged to the US dollar. Uh, And what's happened around the world is there's been a lot of central banks who've said they want to investigate the public issuance uh, backed by government of these crypto stablecoins. And so... The RBA has spent a number of years researching um, and running pilots on a retail, sorry, on a wholesale CBDC, which means no retail access, which means they've been partnering up with Australian banks, um, but they have not involved any ordinary Australians um, or or really done anything public in terms of thinking about how an everyday Australian would use a publicly issued uh, digital Australian dollar. And what happened uh, a few days ago is the RBA announced that for the first time, they will be explicitly and publicly looking into retail use cases of a central bank digital currency.
0: Awesome. So, um, look, yeah, the the kind of cynic in me wants to ask, is this just another case of innovation theater or do you think there's really something here?
1: I think looking at the history of the RBA in this space, they have taken a slow and cautious approach, which I think is quite sensible, um, given all of the different policy outcomes that they want to weigh up. But I would say that the work that the RBA has done over the years has genuinely built up their own capability and expertise on this technology. And I'm sure that the next round of pilots that they do um, will continue to shore up their internal capability I think that the fact that they're partnering up with the private sector to do this work is quite important as well. And they've demonstrated, again, a good track record of being willing to enter into those partnerships. One of the unique things about the way that this particular pilot is unfolding is that rather than going through their own network of banks, they're going through the digital finance CRC. And a CRC is where the public and private sector come together. Um, to fund research and the CRC that we're talking about here also involves the cryptocurrency sector itself. So it's no longer just a case of the RBA and some big banks. Um, we're we're actually working with the cryptocurrency industry now in this next phase. So that that's another exciting aspect of this.
0: Wow! So that that's super interesting because my next question was going to be really around you know Australia is one of the world leaders oh. in digital payments and. Yeah, you know, I think consumers have, have got it pretty good here when it comes to transacting on a, on a digital basis. Do you think there's a, a need for a CBDC, or do you, do you think there's you know we can we can do better than what we currently are with the the current payments set up and the new payments platform, PayID, etc.
1: I think there's certainly demand for CBDCs. Um, there's there's been a, a loud voice of passionate cryptocurrency enthusiasts for some years now, who've been pointing out what the benefits might be of a CBDC. On the other hand, there's an equally loud um, group of very concerned citizens who worry that this type of technology could be abused by governments. Um, and you know, certainly when we look at this on a global scale, we see that uh, you know different governments. Don't have um, particularly great track records of uh, protecting the liberties and rights of, of their citizens, and we know that um, that certainly the payment system um, is in some respects used as a kind of surveillance technology already, mm-hmm. um, particularly around the anti money laundering legislation that's um, that's managed through the Department of Home Affairs in Australia, um, and and similarly around the world um, in other governments. So. There are certainly ways that this could go well and ways that this could go wrong. And I think it comes down to what is the policy intent um, and how would a CBDC be designed. But it's also important to note that in making this announcement, the RBA has not committed itself to actually releasing a full-scale CBDC for retail use. Um, If you read the wording of their press release, they've made it clear uh, this is just a pilot uh, and so they're still maintaining um, their long-held position that they essentially still need to be convinced that a retail CBDC, um, that the benefits outweigh the costs and the risks um, of implementation. So we, I don't know how many Australians at the moment would be actively thinking about um, the, their own usage of a CBDC, but certainly within the cryptocurrency enthusiast community, um, it's a very interesting topic Mm. Um with a lively debate around it.
0: Yeah. Um interesting. I read today that I think ASIC had um recently did a a survey where I think forty four percent of retail investors have crypto in their portfolio, which is pretty incredible.
1: It's an absolutely stunning statistic there had been a lot of scepticism about some of the surveys that had been issued by the private sector that had been looked at during the Senate inquiry into fintech and crypto. Um, And the fact that ASIC themselves have run this survey and it has confirmed um, cryptocurrency interest in Australia is enormous. Mm. And out of those 44% that you just mentioned, Dexter, a quarter of those, crypto is the only asset that they're invested in. So, you know, this is a really interesting survey that's come out from ASIC and we've we've got um, obviously a lot of fintech in Australia and Australia does perform really well in fintech. But Australians don't love banks Mm. and Australians don't love their, their banking systems. There's a lot of things that really don't work very well at all about traditional finance, Um, and fintech does aim to disrupt that. I see cryptocurrency and blockchain as a subset of fintech, um, and to the extent this technology and innovation can be part of that improvement of the user experience and consumer choice, I think it's a fantastic thing because it injects more competition into financial services. And products as well, and I think that um, you know that that's actually something that we shouldn't dismiss as not having value because you know we have seen it's it's taken a very long time to roll out things like open banking and consumer data right. Um, If Web three can help push these innovations along, um, we should be really supporting that.
0: Now we talked about this a little bit around, I guess, concerns around government, the US and SEC in particular, um, really. Wild feels like a wild move this week with tornado cash. What do you What are your thoughts on that? And could you tell us a little bit of the kind of backstory as to what what's kind of really occurred there?
1: This is a very controversial issue, and it comes back again to that tension between um, you know the surveillance state and the policy intent of anti-money laundering regimes, and then also people wanting to try and protect their privacy um, on the internet, which we know from social media um, and and other stories that we've heard is very hard um, to do. Um, And even for people who have more of an interest in online privacy and data protection, um, we know the odds are stacked against the ordinary person when they're trying to be safe online. And with blockchain technology, because it is so transparent, um, we we know the ledger is auditable, and you can go and analyze and trace transactions. It is quite difficult to be private using blockchain. And so, what people in the blockchain community have been doing for so long now is they've been trying to find ways of protecting their identity. Um, and there are a lot of legitimate reasons why they would want to do this. Maybe they're um, trying to prevent being um, hacked or scammed or attacked, um, or just want to make sure that they're minimizing um, the the potential for a stranger online to harass them by de-anonymizing um, any of their online footprints. So it's not um, purely just a case of people who are criminals or um, illicit actors, you know, undertaking nefarious activity. Um, however, what happened this week is one of the um, open source technologies that some people had used uh, to try and preserve their privacy through cryptocurrency transactions called tornado cash had been sanctioned by the US government. And this is very unusual because um, sanctions are generally reserved for uh, people or countries. In this case, the US has sanctioned lines of code. They have said, um, we're actually sanctioning this technology the protocol is not to be used by any Americans. And they've also uh, shut down the GitHub accounts of developers who had been involved in contributing to the code base. Um, And so this is a move away from um, a historical precedent that had been standing uh, for quite some time, almost since um, cryptocurrency, uh, sorry, since cryptography had really been um, invented. And essentially, um, we're now in a world where code is not being looked at as lines of text that equate to speech. It's actually being looked at um, as you know, possibly a, a weapon, um, if you look at it from that perspective. And so having sanctioned lines of code, now there's a big question mark hanging over all of the open source technology that people use online. And so this touches on uh, the majority of protocols that we know and love in the blockchain space, um, and reaches outside of blockchain too, into into other open source technology. So um, we've entered a new unknown era um, where the the precedent has been broken. Um, what is the US going to sanction next?
0: It's crazy, eh? Um, and, and when you think the, you know, the kind of geopolitical tensions that we've got, you know, what we've seen in the Ukraine, what we've seen, you know, kind of start to kind of evolve with China, you do wonder if that's You know, this this is a kind of knee-jerk reaction to those types of geopolitical events that are going on.
1: Yes, I I had a look at the the wording, um, the official wording, the language that was used by the US government when they explained what they had done. And it's quite interesting to see how they're describing all of the usage of tornado cash um, as having been um, a result of illicit actors, um, you know, Essentially suggesting that there have been no valid use, uses of this technology yeah. at all, which are you know I, I do I wonder um, if if that's accurate. You know when you when you meet um, people in the cryptocurrency community and they talk to you about the experiments that they run with technology and the reasons they use uh, different technology, um, a lot of the time it is just because um, out of a matter of principle they are trying um, to execute best practice on their own behalf. Or they're simply technology enthusiasts and they love to um, experiment with how different things work. And, you know, it's, I find it really hard to believe that every single person who's engaged with Tornado Cash in any way um, had bad intentions or was doing something wrong. But um, clearly, the US is wanting to send a message here that says we are really unhappy with the developments in anonymity enhancing technology. Um, So, you know, it's certainly, going to make a lot of people in the space quite wary when thinking about um, what they want to build or contribute to or use um, as a consumer as well.
0: Now we're going to kind of finish off on I think what's been probably the the, the biggest thing to happen this week and that is the testing of the Ethereum merge. Do um, you want to share with us a bit about what's happened this week there?
1: That's right. So for quite a number of years now, the Ethereum ecosystem has been wanting to change the consensus mechanism that underlies their blockchain. And what that means is they're transitioning um, to a new chain. They've currently got two um, chains running side by side. And there's a big event happening in about a month's time called the merge, where this transition will be complete. Um, And it has been quite slow um, to get to this point. But in the last six months or a bit more, um, there has been a lot of momentum and now the finish line is in sight. So what we can see um, is that um, all of the tests that have been run in recent months have gone quite well. Um, and so now we're we're ready for the final merge um, in the middle of September. So, uh, you know, one of the main drivers or motivators for making this radical change to the structure of how Ethereum works is that the Ethereum community wants to make their blockchain more energy efficient. Um, and this is the way that they they've chosen to go about doing that, which is quite a different approach taken to um, for example the Bitcoin community where they've kept the same consensus algorithm, but they've moved the underlying infrastructure onto um, a combination of renewable and sustainable um, energy sources, not 100%, um, but certainly um, a very high and growing percentage. So um, two very different approaches being taken there.
0: What do you think is the likelihood of the merge actually happening mid-September?
1: If you look at the track record of um, of this project over its lifetime, um, it the deadlines have been so far out um, and pushed back, you know, a year and another year and another year. Um, You know, I think a lot of people have a little bit of PTSD from all of those delays and have stopped believing any updates um, related to the ETH merge. But, um, you know, the the finish line does appear to be in sight um, and and hopefully there are no disasters.
0: Now there's, you know, a a fair amount of, um, I guess, you know, there's never good news without bad news or, or kind of concerns and in the world of of blockchain and crypto, the kind of I guess discussion that's happening around proof of work versus proof of stake, and what this might mean for a, a kind of forking. Do you think that's likely to happen?
1: Absolutely, yes. I'd be very surprised if people do not mine the proof of work chain um, after the merge. And you know, this is one of those really interesting case studies where you look at how the design of a blockchain. Um, it incentivizes actors um, in a very game theoretical manner. Um, for anyone out there who finds it profitable to mine the proof of work chain, they will mine, regardless of the desires of the community who moves on to proof of stake. Um, if there is any value to be extracted, um, you know, this is the nature of open source permissionless technology. Um, somewhere, so, somewhere there will be somebody on the internet who wants to download and run open source code and you simply I cannot stop that from happening. So I'm very sure we will see um, proof-of-work mining continue. But uh, again, if we look at the history of what happens when you have a hard fork on a blockchain, um, typically the the chain that is not the consensus chain that has the backing of the community, um, it tends to basically trend towards zero. So we saw this happen with Bitcoin Cash We saw this happen with BSV and Bitcoin Gold and other forks of the Bitcoin chain. Um, And we also saw this happen with Ethereum Classic, ETC. Um, You know, sure, there are still, for whatever reason, some people out there who trade ETC, um, but I'm sure sure they're just, you know, day trading for the volatility. I I haven't really met um, anyone who is bullish on the future of the Ethereum Classic blockchain in, in any ecosystem sense. So, you know, I suppose that if you want to, um, continue to engage um, from an investment perspective with um, proof of work Ethereum, you'd really have to study um, the history of hard forks to get a sense of, um, you know, whether that's going to be a good long-term strategy or not.
0: How do you feel after this week and kind of what, what's your sense as to, have we moved further forward this week? Have we moved backwards again? What What's your, your sense, um, Chloe?
1: There are glimmers of hope everywhere always, um, but this is a tough week. Uh, and the thing that I'm the most concerned about at the moment is, um, as, as you phrased it, Dexter, a knee-jerk reaction from regulators and policymakers around the world who, you know, still do not understand this technology and its potential as well as they should. Um, and so they're never quite sure what part to regulate, how harshly to regulate it, Um, or even how to leverage the technology itself um, for win-win outcomes. Uh, You know, coming back to this tornado cash issue, um, I'd love to see more of a discussion about, you know, zero-knowledge proofs as something that can enhance KYC outcomes and also preserve the identity of individuals um, rather than giving away unnecessarily um, private information and, and putting people at risk. So, you know, we don't want to create these huge data honeypots that can be abused by genuinely illicit actors. Mm. Um, it's it's not the policy intent. Um, and I think that there are better ways to go about things than with these, um, you know, blanket bans or or knee-jerk reactions. And, and considering, um, I suppose, the, the strife that the industry is in following the fallout of lunar And the cascading liquidations that came from that, um, you know, we're we're certainly not in the good books at the moment and there'll be still a lot of education and work to be done to find what are going to be those good policy solutions um, that that help to make the space more safe, uh, more trustworthy, um, but that don't also kill it off um, prematurely.
0: Well, Chloe, it's been awesome to have you and to think we didn't even talk about BlackRock as well. <laughs> that that would have sent the price of BTC up about 20% I think 12 months ago. But this is the I yeah. think is this now Do you think this is now where we've kind of found that, you know, kind of balance where we're not having that huge volatility anymore? Not asking for a price I prediction. Know.
1: I'm I'm a little unsure um, how long it's going to take uh, the markets to recover from this recession. Um, in June, I did say um, that we had reached a capitulation point when Bitcoin fell below uh, twenty thousand, and um, you know it it has recovered um, uh, quite a bit from its its low point, and we seem to be in more of a situation now where, um, you know, those um, Bitcoin assets are looking a bit more like stable coins. Now we're in a crab market, just sort of gently bubbling along sideways. So, uh, you know, I guess it will really depend on macroeconomic factors. um, And that's kind of the view that I've taken. Um, You know, we we don't know, um, I suppose, what the economy will look like coming out of this because it has just been so long. Um, since the macro economy had this combination of indicators.
0: Awesome. Well, I think this has been so good. I think we should do this every month.
1: It would be great to to talk to you more, Dexter. I always enjoy your questions.
0: Cool. Well, excellent. Thanks for joining me today, Chloe. Um, if people want to get in touch, what's the best way for them to reach out to you?
1: Best way to reach out, um, you can message me on Telegram. My handle is Chloe White Oz A U um, S. You can also uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, but just include a message with your invite.
0: And you can connect with me, Dexter Cousins, on LinkedIn and Twitter. Don't forget to follow us and leave us a five star review. It really helps us promote the show to others. Until the next episode, stay safe.